In this week's episode, we're going to be listening to Good Woman, the third studio album by The Staves. Sisters Jessica, Camilla and Emily Stavely-Taylor began by performing as a folk trio in venues around their hometown of Watford in England before releasing their first album, Dead and Born and Grown, in 2012. Their second, If I Was, followed in 2015 and was a notable move towards a richer palette of instruments and recording techniques. Good Woman, released just last month, continues that trajectory. Themes of patriarchy, womanhood, and the failure to communicate punctuate perhaps their most varied and diverse album to date. Thank you as always for supporting the show. This is Good Woman by The Staves. You're listening to Between the Tracks, a book club, but for music. Join the conversation at tracks.show. Yeah, all right, man. <laughs> you, you know what? when we do like a live version of the show, yeah, we'll have to get Ross and Samson to come and play that behind us. I'll put a drum kit in the house. That'll yeah. really help the whole Asbo situation. Yeah. No, He's... not now. I'm talking like when we go and do the show like live to like an audience. Oh, like an audience. Yeah, and we can walk onto that music. We've got to get an audience first. Yeah. What? Three nights at the Alley Pally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. The Alley Pally. We Alley Pally. The Alley Pally. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Between the Tracks. We are a book club for music. We bring in one album per episode, and we break it down track by track and discuss it amongst us three lads. Speaking of which, my name is Carl Lewis. With me is Charlie Fowler. Hello, girl. And Chris Bunt. Hello there, Carl. At last. I've retired the bit. At last. It's gone. It's gone. Shame. It is a shame. It was good while it lasted. Didn't exactly peak, but it's fine. No. Well, I tried. You did. just a man. You did try. Just a man. You're just a man. Chris, this was your album this week, my old man. It was. It was. And I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Me too. Having not heard it. Me three. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you both knew it was going to be my absolute cup no, Well, no. Not necessarily. I was listening to it middle of the week and I was thinking, I don't know, is this going to, this could go one of two ways here with, with the boys. I don't know if it's going to hit home or not. And God, it really did, man. Yeah. I hit a home run with this number. <laughs> it, immediately when I listened to it, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And I know this, I'm going to love it. But as soon as I started looking into it, looking at interviews with them and just getting a vibe for them as people, it all just became more and more of a thing for me. Loved it. Yeah. So what made you choose this one then, Chris? I know the stage's a little, well, I say a little, their second album is, is played a lot. Uh, we listened to it a lot at home. And I was saving this album with it having been released last month Mm -hmm. and i just wanted to get to it with you guys and give it the credit that it probably deserved when i got to it yeah Uh, and i'm so glad i did because beyond them being incredible songwriters and performers and singers and harmony led singers which is a big tick in my book anyway it was just great to get into the process of all of this and Mm -hmm. and learn about them more as a you know as a family as three sisters and find that dynamic and all of the things that led up to the creation of this album so i'm I'm really chuffed that it that it was a a good one and one that i particularly enjoyed yeah this has been one of my favorites to look through just such a beautiful album i really fell in love with it um a bit of background on i guess how this album came about or in what part of the journey they were at at this point in time We'll touch upon it more in the episode, but they lost their mother. They were going through some breakups. Um, Emily, one of the girls, had a baby. And so it was in this weird 
transition period of a lot of stuff going on, a lot of grief, a lot of love, new life, loss of life and stuff like that. This album comes six years after their last album, after which they took a bit of a hiatus. They described it as a pre-lockdown lockdown mm-hmm. of them just taking time to regather their emotions. And throughout that time, they were obviously writing songs, which brings us up to this album, which was released on the 5th of February, 2021 on Nonsuch Records. Uh, Nudie Such for you, Charlie. Thank you. Um, and yeah, it's just beautiful, man. I've, I've loved it. Uh, well, we can get into it if you want to dive straight in and, and get talking. I'm excited too, man. Again, welcome back to Between the Tracks. Thank you for joining us once again. We are looking at the Staves' new album, Good Woman, and this is track one, the title track, Good Woman. Track one, Good Woman. Nothing wrong with that at all. Oh man, what an opener. Powerful number, isn't it? Yeah. Beautiful, man. I oh, love it. That ending is... Uh, Where they're shouting Good uh-huh. Woman. It's yeah. insane. And I don't have a heap of listening time on the staves. Mm-hmm. From what I have heard, I've never heard them deliver like that. It's nuts. It's so high. Yeah. It's so high and crystalline almost yeah. uh, in its delivery. Even when you see them play it live on video and stuff, it's, uh, it's insane. It's insane. They've taken a big departure on this album, haven't they? From mm-hmm. what I can see and hear between the, the other albums, this definitely seems like they've adopted and embraced the sonic space. Definitely. Mm-hmm. They talk about a lot of field recordings being on this album, taking out a recorder and just getting into a different environment, recording themselves, doing some takes and just bringing all that stuff in. Yeah. I guess this song is a good place to talk about that because about halfway through, there's some background chatter, uh-huh. yeah, totally. which is a bunch of different recordings, but like some of, are of the mother, some yeah. of the grandmother, some female friends. And then at the end, they're all chanting, I'm a good woman in like a barn, I think it was. And they went out to a barn to record oh, really? that bit. Yeah. And capture that ambience in that big space. So they do that a lot through the album. I think that was Camilla's thing. I think she always really wanted to bring that stuff yeah, seems to it. the party. Seems yeah. It. She's definitely, I would say, mostly responsible for the, the sonic space and new horizons in this album it seems that during interviews it's hard to tell who writes what it seems like yeah when songs are being written that song takes on the personality of the person that's written it exactly although they they are all assigned to the staves so it's hard to actually pick out a there's no lennon and mccartney there's always a you know it's, it's always the staves exactly i think i've got it down for most of them who wrote it by picking through interviews mm-hmm. i think the way they generally write is that camilla and jess will write songs and be that separate or be that collaboratively. And then Emily is the proofer for it. So she'll help them work on harmonies. She'll critique it, help them pull it apart and help it. Just an external set of ears on the internal side, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So I think, yeah, Camilla and Jess are the main songwriters. This one in particular was written by Camilla okay. in 2017. Awesome. Yeah, one of the first songs, I think, for the album, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it's probably worth saying that a lot of these songs were written before their mother passed away and that's probably well that's that's the most traumatizing and difficult moment of the past few years that they had mm-hmm. i try and avoid lumping it all into all yep. of that stuff and trying to find a lot of meaning in that per se but obviously through recording and you know as you said carl you've got some of the family members in those field recordings as well mm-hmm. you know the grandmother also passed away a couple of weeks before them their mother as Which well tragic yeah. yeah so that's an amazing statement and something to to hold on to and and project onto your audience from what i could gather the idea of the field recordings were 
representative of what it feels like to be a woman and getting lots and lots of different ideas of what it is to be a woman. Jessica describes it as if you could imagine you could plug a cable into your head, the noise that would be recorded from that cable is, is what the background chatter is supposed to depict. Like I said a second ago, this song was written by Camilla. It was written around 2017. At this point, Jess and Emily had moved back to the UK. So it was just Camilla left in the States and she was with her partner at the time. And they were going through a bit of a rough time. She felt like she describes it as carrying her own baggage plus the other person's and having to be, as a woman, the person who looks after everyone. A quote from her is that she says, I got to a point where I was made to feel like I wasn't enough. I was being told all these things that I should be doing to be considered a good woman, that I should carry my own shit and their shit and not complain. And I think that's quite prominent. The fact at the end of the song, where all of the sisters are kind of together in harmony, singing that I'm a good woman. It, there's a lot of that through the album of whether harmony serve as a support role to the person who's going yeah. through Yeah, oh, mate, I, I kind of don't even want you to say that this, in this first song because I feel like there's so many times where that's such an apparent theme and it's yeah. just such a, I think such an important point in the whole album is the way that they use their, their like sisterly bond and their harmonies to reinforce certain points or yeah. lyrics to push something into the light. But that's quite a unique position anyway. I can't think of that many bands that I know of that have that sort of dynamic. Well, um, that's the thing. I think that's literally one of the amazing yeah. tools that they have. Yeah. And some of the lines too. I love, I cover my mouth and I straighten my back. I think it's yeah, very powerful, isn't it? So powerful. And they say that twice in the same in To the re same reinforce it. I love the line, but he'll build statues of me when I'm leaving you all I've behind. Too, and man. I'm carrying weight, but I know it's not mine. That's so good. So yeah. Good. They're just amazing at that really painting a picture a lot of the lyrics throughout the rest of this album so good with imagery and yeah. just hitting the nail in the head in a very short space of time 100 uh, percent. if you wouldn't mind carl there's like one quote that i found that a bit of a heavy hitter on this song before we move on to the next one mm -hmm. and it was from emily and she said um this was in relation to this track and she said when Mum died i remember being at her funeral and thinking oh my god all the hours wasted in your, in your life Mum." of doubting yourself and having insecurities none of that matters all these people are here you're so loved you were such a good woman. And um, that's the take home message at the end of fucking life. This is track two, Best Friend. That was track two, Best Friend. Sati with my best friend <laughs> talking about a song called Best Friend. Oh. Were your best friends? Well. <laughs> the movement in that song is just insane. It's just perpetually moving forward. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Shout out to Isaac Newton. Our boy. Nice. Our boy Isaac. The crazy thing about that though is that the drums weren't added until the song had been written. Yeah, that blew my mind yeah. too. Mm. You would never have thought that this didn't have that no. when it was in the writing process. No, because the drums are pushing everything yeah. forward. Yeah. Every, mm -hmm. All of those drums come early and it just, yeah, it's just like nudging everything towards the end of the song. There's so much nostalgia just in the sound of this song before the fact that the song is about your old best friends in school. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because that's essentially what it's, what it's about written by Jessica. Jessica wrote this one. Yeah. You say. What's interesting about when they talk about this song is um, that they say that when you're a kid, you, want to move forward fast you're like you're running towards everything you, you never sit and stop and appreciate the fact that you're in that moment you're always trying to get to the next 
bit, you know, Im- imagine when you're like 12 or something and you want to be 14 or mm-hmm. you're 17 Always, and you're like, man. I want to be 18, man. And one of my favorite parts about this song is that there's that amazing keyboard lift. It's, it's just like a really spark, a bit sparkly and glistening keyboard. Mm-hmm. It's a, a really short motif just on a synthesizer or something. And it's like youth. It's like yeah. youth in a sound. I could go on about this song for ages about so much that I like about it. There's some impeccable harmonies that I just would never think to go to. And the chord progression, I absolutely adore. The imagery of, of being in that car bolsters the movement in the whole thing. You know, when you're in a car and it's the summer and you like got your head out the window, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a prevalent point because the producer of this album, John Congleton, mm-hmm. um, he produced Sharon Van Etten's latest album. Yep. But there's an album by her called Are We There? And the album cover of that, I'm not sure if it's her or who it is that's leaning out of a window. And it's, it personifies Perfect. this yeah, moment. Nice. You know, that give me a ride home and the sun's out and you, you can feel the warmth of the air even though you've got all of the... Yeah. It's that end of summer, still yeah. warm in the evening, yeah. still oh, really light. Yeah. yeah. Going back to what you said about the drums, giving it movement, Jessica says she loves songs that you don't know where the drums are going to come in. Right. She said she loves that as an artistic tool and she wants to put that into this song. So that's why that was the, in terms of the overall theme, you're talking about nostalgia and, and that kind of the joy in that. Um, there's a quote I have from Jessica, which says, I think this song provides a moment of optimism on the record of joy and nostalgia, which is perhaps not happening that much on the rest of the album. So pretty much on the nose with like this being the, one of the isolate moments of true, pure nostalgia and, and that feeling of being young and, and longing for a simpler time. But it's that lonely thing again for me. It's like the the missing it a lot thing. Like it's, yeah. it's not necessarily upbeat. I don't feel that upbeat in this. I, I feel like I want to, you know, have a little bit of a have a little bit of a tear. I probably did. Like we've talked about a bunch of times on yeah. this. You know, nostalgia is a is a happy, sad, melancholic emotion where it longs for a time that. But it's the rose tinted glasses. The grass is always greener thing. In the moment, probably didn't even notice what was going on. Of course not. Looking back, yeah. it feels like the one time that you wish you could go back to. But if you if you did, you'd probably just be like, oh, yeah. Well, we're we're dumb shits at that, that age, aren't we? So we are, yeah. 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 We're probably, yeah. yeah. We're too busy a puddle of anxiety, we? hoping that we might be able to kiss someone. Um, <laughs> no, Pokemon cards. A Pokemon, yeah. I, I either need a shiny Charizard or a kiss on the lips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. This is track three. Careful, kid. Track three, Careful Kid. A lot of smiles in the room. Love it. Great, man. So that one was written by Camilla. Yep. And that start of it, it's almost like, um, what's that song? (laughs) (laughs) It's like one of those songs, like probably like a mid-2000s new metal kind of song. Why did you do this? I don't know why I'm doing it now. Yeah. It's it's not um, People of the Sun. Yeah, oh, it is People of the oh, Sun. Okay. There you go, yeah. So it sounds a bit like People of the Sun by Rage Against the Machine. Here's one for you. Fact of the week. Probably not fact of the week. You might know this. That is actually Camilla's voice put into a guitar distortion pedal yep. and then distorted it another couple of times to make that looping sound. Calling back to what I was saying at the top of her using this album as a more experimental palette for her getting those 
bits out. Jessica refers to it as, she remembers hearing it the first time and thinking it sounded a bit like a Led Zeppelin riff. Fair. So there you go. Use that, I'd say. Fair. I mean, the last song, right? I could hear the new production influence on it. And I know that this song was one of the last they wrote for the album. They got Congleton in quite late on the record. They said the wheels were already going on the album before yeah. they got him in. Mm-hmm. You can hear that external influence of his. Definitely. I think they'd written the vast majority of the songs, but couldn't put it together and just couldn't get everything across the line. So they brought John Congleton in to do that. Mm-hmm. And he did a great job, man. Like this album does sound like nothing they've done before, but still has so many fantastic salutes to who they are. Yeah. They don't drift too yeah. far from themselves. That would be a rule that I would say across the entire album though. Even though this is the most sonically diverse and you know this is this is quite a heavy song it's quite a heavy sounding song mm-hmm. but not once do i feel like i miss out on what they're doing as vocalists totally yeah they don't take anything away from themselves because you can't when you're that good and when you're that in tune with each other be that through being sisters or be that just through the experience they've got of harmonizing with each other they can't go wrong with that no this is a natural progression for me it's like we've pretty much explored everything we can with our voices we're so good at it how can we level this up? Yeah. And they've gone, well, let's explore, you know, we've done our thing. We've done our first album. That was very folk. We've done our second album where we started to broaden our horizons with Justin Vernon. And now we're here yeah. with some creative freedom. We've been through some shit and now we're just going to do what we want to do to try and get this yeah. message out of us. Yeah, and it's great. Sure. feels sure. so good. There's so much good sound in this song. Mm. It's almost like a big like bubble. It, it's almost bulging in, it, in its way. Mm-hmm. but never once does it get swamped down it's like so so deftly done which is I difficult think. to do because yeah. you know like the master of that is trent reznor and this has echoes of him in it for me where it's like that real proggy kind of yeah. driving oh, really? pulsing thing it gives really? me trent reznor vibes a combination between his cinematic compositions and his nine inch nail stuff it has a bit of that in it for me and to do that and to pull it off especially as an artist like this yeah is so tough because normally the voice gets lost to the instrumentation or vice versa but they've really nailed it on this one and that line, won't you give me one sign to go on, where it, they sing it really high and it just distorts. Mm-hmm. That's so creative because it's like blowing the windows out kind of thing. Um, shout out to a song later in the album. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it just has that like when something distorts intentionally, like yeah. we talked about with James Blake and that acoustic guitar. It's like when things are done like that in an artistic way, they gather some emotion. Like we talked about with Tame Impala with the phaser over the mix almost being an instrument. That's like that for me, that distortion is the part that if that yeah. if that wasn't there I wouldn't get the goosebumps yeah there's yeah there's a bit in there a guitar or something or, or a synth sound mm-hmm. and it's distorting so warmly that it's it almost sounds like it's feeding back and hits some other different re- like an, another frequency mm-hmm. and it's all of those bits that for someone like me who who really likes sound just tips me over the edge and yeah, it's, yeah it's, I get it's that. things that I I look forward to after many many listens and things like that so it's fascinating to me that attaching emotion to a sonic choice rather than a musical choice did you guys crack the meaning of this song did you look much into the lyrics i pulled some lyrics and i brought a quote from camilla where she says it's kind of a karmic warning to someone about their behavior and what and the way they've acted towards other people yeah Yeah, they say there's kind of a parental tone about it like now be careful Mm -hmm. i thought it was interesting as well another point that they make which is that it's almost like great that you're working in your on yourself and that you're you're getting there but we're still having to carry your shit around yeah yeah sure and you forget about the, th- when you're making progress, you forget about the people that might not be making the progress. Exactly. You. Though it, though they're moving forward, they're still being a hindrance to you. Like you say, yeah. like in that bridge, you've got the, you're working on yourself and you're killing it, leaving all your friends, picking up your shit. Yeah. But I love the line, standing in the snow with a cigarette, 
said you're going to quit, but you never did. Right. Mm. And it's like those little things they're even not managing to achieve. It's like, I know you're trying, but still, you said you were going to quit smoking and you're still doing that. It's like, are you really making any progress here? Exactly. I think the girls are very good at being funny in lyrics, like using maybe irony or using like sarcasm. I didn't know what this song was going to be about when I first heard it, mm. but it's called Careful Kid. I didn't know who that statement was going to be from. It could have been from somebody that thinks they know what's best for them, but mm-hmm. might not necessarily know what's best for them. Yeah, and is someone talking down to them or are they talking down to someone? Or... Yeah, I just, one of my favorite parts of this song, and I'm coming back around from a five-year rebound, and mm-hmm. I like the way it's like, it's a statement of like confidence. And that echoes, echoes through the rest of the album. Um, let's move on at this point to track four, which is called Next Year, Next Time. Track four, next year, next time. My favorite on the album, man. <laughs> wow. Absolutely banging. There I it is. I fucking love it, man. We need a little air horn or something for that. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> That's a tiny cricket with a tiny <laughs> air horn. I, I can't help but feel that this track, in a sense, is, is the most organic in terms of its instrumentation. Uh, yes, it's full band vibes, but there's not simps knocking around and stuff. And yeah. yeah, it's a band tune, isn't it? It's yeah. a band tune, and that feels fucking great. And I controversial yeah i just for me that works best for them i love the production on the album don't get me wrong and there's there's moments coming up that i'm gonna go that simp line's sick or that mm-hmm. the way they've done that but for me hearing that i'm like fuck they sound flipping good like that they do but hearing them pull back like that is good because what it means is that the choices they are making with synths and extra instruments are what they feel the song needs not what they feel like they should be doing amen sister. so the fact that they can pull back means that I trust the choices in the other songs more. I actually feel like this is a song that begins maybe a little three song, a window in the album that is them returning to the roots that are evident on their more previous albums, mm-hmm. perhaps, I'd say. Um, I get completely what you're saying, both of you, but I actually like hearing their voices transplanted into lots of new sonic and how many times can we say sonic environments, do you think? Probably a um, more. Okay, sonic environments, sonic environments. I should get a counter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's a buzzword for each episode. Normally it's interpretation. So oh, I'm yeah, going to have to start, look in, I'm right. have to start getting a counter and put it up on the episode. Yeah, yeah, okay. But yeah, I do, I, I love that. I love that they can trans, like the voices are so versatile that they can fit in all these different mm-hmm. sonic environments. Ooh. I, what a motto though, that. The song in general is like my motto, really, putting it off till. But no, <laughs> yeah, it's that like juxta, cool. isn't it? Of like, yeah, put well, it off. We're all guilty of it, aren't we? I, I feel like we're guilty of it on like the daily. Like this well, podcast ever... could have been one of those where we were like, let's start a podcast next year. And we're like, then we get to it. We're like, fuck. Fuck it. The pubs are open. Yeah. This one with the, like the bridge in the middle, I guess it's a bridge. It's kind of a pre, a pre bridge. We've got that. We can wait to the borderline all night. We can try to explain it to ourselves. But we, like that whole bit, that movement in the song, that change fucks with my emotions. It really, really gets me. It's like, it simultaneously gets me hyped up. And breaks me heart at the same time. Yeah. And I love it. This is the song for me that gives me that 
end of summer driving in a car with your head out the window thing you were talking about this i'm not hang on i'm not driving the car with my head out the window why like ace ventura Like a glove. Nice. <laughs> Maybe I should start doing that more. Um, they reference Midlake as a reference for this tune, right? Yeah. I saw that in an interview, mm. but I couldn't, I went onto Midlake's page on Spotify. God, that was such a weird way of saying that. I went onto their page on Spotify. <laughs> their MySpace page, which led me to their Spotify. Um, I sent them a postal order and yeah. they've sent me three albums and I've listened to two. I'm in the fan club. <laughs> all right. All right. Anyway, I went onto their page on Spotify and I couldn't really find the tune they were talking about, but I understood the reference given what Midlake sound like. Well, mm. this one was written by Jess Sicko. And um, she was keen... Is that how you pronounce her name? Ed, yeah, there's three S's in, this, oh, okay. in, in Jessica. Um, trying not to be too formal here, aren't we? That's the thing. Exactly. Right? They're trying to be not too informal. Uh, sorry. I, I, I don't know these people, so I don't want to be, oh, Jess Million, you know, M's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jessica wrote this song and... She describes that the three-part harmony thing that she brings in and out is to, again, re-solidify that thing we were talking about earlier, about them supporting each other throughout in different times and different parts of the, of the songs. This one for me in terms of personally what it makes me feel is like, you know that point in a broken relationship where things are on the rocks and you know that deep down the relationship's over, but there's part of both of you that know you have the potential to love each other because it was there right. in the first place and you spend all your time chasing that back and you start making plans and making promises and being like this time next year like we'll have fixed all this stuff and we're going to be fine and everything's going to be all right but inevitably it's always over and it always is and there's no point torturing yourself with that well i like that that's what it interpretation to me which is a heavy one because you know we're, we talk about our emotions on this podcast and there's some of mine so agony uncle c dry your eyes lads <laughs> The one where Carl showed his emotions. <laughs> <laughs> the one where Carl was in a doomed relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. How oh, history repeated itself. So. Oh, shit. So whilst I lick my wounds and reminisce over lost relationships and past girlfriends and, and my inevitably consistently and abruptly broken heart, this is track five, Nothing's Gonna Happen. And everybody knows Nothing's gonna happen with you Could I be the only one still waiting? I can wait some more. Tell me what happens, will I be okay? I can see a fire from a mile away. Track five, Nothing's Gonna Happen. Another one written by Jessica. Beauty. Jessica with three S's. Another gorgeous song. And this is OG Staves, isn't it? Yeah, this, it is this, OG. Yeah, this represents them even more so than next year, next time, I think. This is like so nicely approached. Just a little bit of delicate instrumentation around it. They, they refer to this song as the anchor point or the grounding. Oh, the is that what they say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it makes sense. Like Jessica describes how when she was, at the time of writing it, she felt like, because it was obviously lockdown time and, and distance between them all be that, uh, continents or lockdown or whatever she felt like they as a band were becoming slightly adrift like Camilla was working on songs on her own which were taking this more expressive sonic direction Jessica was writing songs that were more original stave style and just they felt slightly adrift Emily was dealing with the new baby and so she wrote this song as a way of unifying them mm. again going back to the roots and being like, this is what we do, just so we all know that this is yeah. something we can still do. And the placement of it in the album is clever. This is right in the middle point. This would be the end of side A. Yeah. 
And she describes it as being an old school save song and this being the heart of the album and the core of the album. And that's interesting because this sound is, in essence, the core and heart of the staves. Yeah. Yes. And for it to yeah. be right in the middle is like a, a, like you say, an anchor point. It's like where the album comes to a point where it's like, listen, this is at the heart of all of this stuff. You've dug down this far to find this, and now we're going to dig our way back out. With and the rest this of the is album. us as well. This is us. If you strip it all back, this is us. That's it. And they're still fantastic at it, you know? Yeah. But the statement in that song as well, nothing, nothing will happen if, if you don't put yourself in a position where you can change it. Exactly. Almost like they're giving themselves the permission to work around this heart of, of mm, yeah. um, the things that they yeah. do so well. And, you know, some sort of meta commentary on, on the, their approach to the album. Probably not so, but... Um, There's something really safe about that, isn't there? The most vulnerable song. We've noticed it on a few, or I've noticed it on a few albums in different episodes we've done, where the most vulnerable tracks or the most overtly honest to their natural sound, it was always positioned in the middle. Mm. And I think that's a point of safety. It's like not too far close to the edges to fall off. It's like right there so that when you get to that in terms of a listening experience, you're already sold on the idea yeah, if you've made it sure. that far so they don't feel too worried about putting it there. Did you guys watch the film Austin to Boston? I, you know, I tried to find it, but I couldn't get a copy online anywhere. I've, right. I watched it years ago. Oh, you have actually watched I've it? I've actually watched it, yeah. Sick. There's some amazing artists on that. Nathaniel Rateliff, especially on there. Is, yeah, is Bez Den so and good. Ben Howard. But I thought it was relevant because that was quite early stage when they basically did this trip, this tour of America with Ben Howard and Nathaniel... Nathaniel Rateliff. Uh, and Bears Den, and they did this whole VW camper van tour of America. Yeah, they're all on like communion records, I think. Yeah, well. they're all on communion, which is worth pointing out as well. I was having this conversation yesterday with Jim Hurd. Um, oh, nice. Because he was with Bears Den, of course and he, he, was. he met the Staves and when they were kind of hanging out with Mumford and Sons. And no stuff, way. Sort of thing, so, yeah. But what this demonstrated to me is this song is obviously such a, you know, it's, it's them, it's their core, it's what they do. And it just it screamed to me how comfortable they are with their artistry. Mm. And I was just thinking about, and if you watch that film, you can see all these amazing artists kind of going around and touring together and jumping on stage with each other. And I was just goosebumping all over because yeah. I was thinking like, these are fucking good musicians and they've gone on tour with other fucking good musicians. Yeah. And I just, I love the thought of these guys traveling around America, just goosebumping the crap out of audiences around America. Imagine how much more comfortable they might be now with each other on a stage. It'd be interesting to see where that goes though now because Emily now being being a mum, I remember when it was announced that she was going to step back from the band. Obviously she features a lot on this album, but it'd be interesting to see if she returns in a live setting anyway. I the road can be quite accommodating, especially at their level. You know, they can choose to do one show on, two shows off and take the baby and the family on the road and stuff. So you never know. They might, yeah. they might do it together. I hope so. I got some tickets, so hopefully. Mm. Oh man, there you go. I'll be, I'll be there as well. I, I, after listening to this album, I desperately want to go see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some really nice lyrics that I pulled out. There's this section in the middle and it really made me emotional. It's the, if I could reach you now, I'd say that I'm proud of everything you've done and the wonderful man I know you have become. I'm glad you've said that. Who do you think this is addressed to? It's written by Jessica, so I don't know, because the only relationship I'm aware of is Camilla and her ex yeah. that surrounds this album. Yeah. So this could be anything. I mean, and this could be anyone and it could be no one. It could just be maybe an ex. It's yeah. like maybe an ex that of a bad breakup that you can't be in touch with now because they might have a new girlfriend yeah. or anything. Or you just haven't seen them in a while and you're reminiscing on lost love, something like that. But it sounds really sincere anyway, I think. It does. It's beautiful. Like the way she delivers it as well. Like the wonderful man I know you have become. Mm. Like you knew they had the potential to be this amazing person. Yeah. Did you hear the demo of this song? No. No. It came out in 2019. They put it out as an official release through them, but labeled it a demo. 
but it's i mean it's fucking brilliant the, the production everything is it's i would argue that it's better than this version how's it different it sounds bigger to me the other one feels a lot more wide open mm. okay the acoustic guitar is a little bit lower quality and it just feels a lot more like three people crowded around a mic kind of thing okay which is probably exactly what it was yeah and it's beautiful and it's really funny actually one because these girls are so so funny man they've got an excellent sense of humor and they bring it out in all these interviews and in the release notes for the demo it says from their point of view the song is called nothing's gonna happen yes gonna sounds american doesn't it and we're not but it flows the right way and well what you gonna do <laughs> and i love it man everywhere every little kind of write-up no matter how seriously you take the music or how seriously they might take themselves in performance they're just these three hilariously so endearing women i just want to hang out and just yeah, fucking shoot yeah. the shit with them man what, what did yeah. you guys say was it was it chris or carl that said before i love how i'm addressing you both like there's someone else yeah, <laughs> yeah, was it chris or carl was it chris or carl um what do you guys think someone was like god i just want to go down the pub no i do yeah yeah, I, yeah. I, I lo- the, the thing is let's talk about it now they released some episodes of a podcast called dialer stave mm-hmm. that's a real insight just into them as a family i guess it was during um lockdown or locky d as i regret to call it and all of the cultural references that they pull out are so attached to me and everyone around our age i think mm-hmm. it's just so funny they're just so how old so are they normal. they are i think are like all in their 30s i think right there's some funny moments in those podcasts. You've got like, I think it's six episodes they've got out now and they're all over Zoom and like, they're just talking about, you know, Emily having the baby and just shooting the breeze. One of the really funny bits was someone talking about how they ate two jacket potatoes and felt like they were going to die. Oh, when they bring up um, Brian Harvey. Yeah, <laughs> dropping his out the window. It's so funny. Um, let's move on to track six, which is called Sparks. Track six, Sparks. Wowza. So that's your love song on the album, according it to them. Is. Exactly, yeah. According to Jessica, that is the only song that would she would call a love song on the album. And I think that is a beautiful sentiment in its own because this is one that I gather was written after uh, Mum had passed. Yeah, um, sadly. I mean, man, that I just can't even fucking process the idea of losing my mum. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just one of those things where there's so many things in life that I feel ready for. Yeah. Not that. Yeah, but yeah. I, I can prepare for all these different eventualities of shit things happening. And I always describe it as this, you know, life is essentially in essence, just a massive series of gaps between terrible things that happen. And that's a really shitty way to look at life, but it's something that I find comfort in where it's like, as long as I look after the good times and outrun the bad times, things will probably, you know, weigh in the right yeah. side of the scale when I get to, when I get to the grave. Millie actually said in a quote, she was talking about this tune and she said, given everything that happened, suddenly it felt like we're invincible. The worst thing has happened and we survived it. Mm. Because like you say, it's something that you can never audition for. There's no audition yeah. for losing a parent. There's only mm. one set to them. Yeah. You don't get to dry run that. Yeah. So there must be something quite liberating about coming out the other side of that grief and being like, oh my God, we survived the thing, yeah. the unsurvivable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, to turn this on its head and look at this in a positive manner, because 
they describe it in a in a really helpful way for people that may have experienced loss in this form, which isn't easy. And they say that when it happened, although it was really difficult, the way that people expressed their love, I think, for for their mother and therefore them allowed them to access even more love, to, to realize that, wow, I didn't realize I could feel this much. Mm. Yeah, I didn't realize I could get this much from from you, I think. And um, yeah. And there is that in in a significant loss like that. And that's not a negative thing. That is a really positive thing to gain from a really difficult experience. And I mean, definitely. It's like the, don't it always seem to go, you don't know what you got till it's gone. It's like, yeah. Yeah. you don't realize how much you loved something until it's gone. Exactly. And well, the realization of that could be quite a beautiful thing if you look at it the right way. Yeah. It's, I mean, they talk about grief in this as well. And they're talking, you know, about what that means to them. And someone said to me the other day as well, that the only reason grief exists is because you love something so much. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a positive spin on, on grief in a sense as well. Of course, yeah. It's true. And the fact that like, of course that makes sense. The only reason that you're grieving for someone is because you fucking love them. If, in terms of, of losing your mum and if anyone is ever thinking about loss and thinking about ways to get more comfortable with that, the inevitability of death, there's a fucking fantastic animation series on Netflix which is called The Midnight Gospel put together by a guy called Duncan Trussell who does his podcast, Duncan Trussell's Family Hour. And these were animated versions of those episodes. Look through it because it is a, it's a massive trip. It's so it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever watched in my entire life. But the last episode is where he's interviewing his mum, who has terminal cancer and has very little time left. And they're talking and they cry during it. And they're just like coming to terms with it. He's quite a spiritualist. He is very much talks about the fact that this is inevitable and the the comfort that I come away from being in a situation where none of that is in, imminent, yeah. I, I hope to God. Be, it, it, I still came away with some elements of comfortability to it. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes because I think it's one of the most important things I've ever watched in terms of the existential crisis of the human condition. So mm. not to get too heavy on that. No, that's something no. that's really beautiful to me. Um, it's really helpful to talk about it for people that have experienced it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, some people don't know how to access those those things and or access help and and the ability to talk about these things and it the, and the more you talk about it essentially the better so um if that's useful to some people then yeah please yeah put that in the um put it in the notes for sure yeah it's, it's goddamn beautiful and to gently circle this back towards the staves from that stratospheric journey we just took jessica describes that shortly after the moment passed someone in, fucking insensitively said to the, her that well at least you're gonna get a good album out of this now yeah i read that i read well. that as well Fuck. i could not you believe that as a as a as fucking a arsehole, whoever that was and um she describes that you know that's fucking insensitive but also at this point in time the emotions are way too raw to start writing it into songs yeah this is the only song on the album they acknowledge the fact that this is probably about their mum. Yeah. But just talking about how she wrote the lyrics, she says that this was a stream of consciousness thing. They just got in the studio and this just came pouring out of her. So although this can be attributed to the loss of a mother, it's more the fact that those emotions just needed to leave rather than a conscious effort to try and process and write about the situation. So although this seems to be about her mum, it's not written with the intention of that. Right. This is just those emotions bubbling to the surface and needing to escape. But what a fucking insensitive thing to say, man. Yeah, that's nuts. Do, but do you know what that prompted me to think? When we were looking at Leanne Le Havas's album, she said that the album that she was making then was the one that she'd wanted to have showed Prince because that was the one that she felt he would be proud of her for. Do you, mm-hmm. remember, do you remember that we touched upon that? Yep. And I wonder, without being insensitive in the way it was asked, 
I wonder how they feel like their mother would have felt about this album because I think this is a really honest piece of work, mm. a really true representation of where they're at, dealing with really pertinent issues. And um, yeah, I just I just love to probably hear what they thought about that sort of thing in a, in a completely respectful way. I don't mm. mean that in a in a trite way. I don't mean that in a because I you know I watched another interview with with another guy in America. With I think he was in Wisconsin and some of the way he was dealing asking things I, f- I found a little bit I hated that interview yeah it was mm. really hard wasn't yeah. it you know which one I mean yeah like, he yeah. was way too comfortable and just yeah. like being like saying things about the mum where it's like oh give us a, f- a funny idea of a story that she once yeah. did it's yeah. like bro they just lost the mum yeah. and they're talking about how funny she was and he was like well give me an example of her yeah. being funny yeah. it's like fuck you bro you yeah. don't even know her yeah yeah. I really got that was, I was only watching that last but, night and that was yeah but on the other sorry but on the other side of it I just mean I would love to just sit and have a chat about that sort of thing yeah in a completely respectful manner. It's it's not easy, man. Like, there's there's so much comfort in this song. You know, as as someone who's lost a parent myself, uh, you know, there's the the amazing things in the verse about like hearing the keys in the door and stuff. I still I still know what my dad's keys look like. Mm. I remember mm. it. I remember it, and I remember when I heard him coming in. I remember what that felt like at Christmas when I thought that was fucking Santa Claus and all mm. those things. Um, and that al- alongside the pre-chorus of when they're questioning all these things, is it is it is it over? Is it real? And all this, this sort of stuff. I remember that period within the, within the two years that I, you know, I mean, this is, this is 15 years ago now, but, mm. uh, or, or more, but I remember those questions. Is, is all this real? Is it, you know, is, is someone telling me a massive lie? I'm, I remember thinking that. Mm. Cause I, I would imagine that you would start hoping, like, I think a lot of people turn to faith in those problems oh, yeah, where they're like, well, now I've lost this person. If I've lost them in this world, I'm going to have to start fucking oh, believing mate, in the next world. You definitely turn somewhere. Mm-hmm. Wherever that is, you turn to something different that you've never thought about. Hoping that you'll get to them again one day or you, something. You think you can channel something. Yeah. You think there's something that you'll be able to like jump into some stream of some kind of reality where they might be there. Yeah. You might be able to... I'm so fortunate enough to not be able to empathize with, with you guys or, mm. or, or the staves for that matter mm. in terms of losing that person in your life. But I, I can't begin to imagine how difficult that must be. Mm. But how liberating it must be to come out of that to realize that you know you will survive everything yeah. that can be yeah. thrown at you to be given the toughest challenge of yeah. all time i.e., losing the person you love the most in yeah. the world but they've hit all of those elements on the head so well and mm. so accurately and actually to see a song where in it they they just use the lines i love you mm. is actually probably quite rare now you don't just say i love you in a song yeah really yeah. do you no um and actually just seeing it there, it's like, what what better expression is there? You know, we we say it quite simply and quite easily, but do you know what? Fuck it. Mm. I just I just love you. You know, it's, yeah. it's, there's nothing wrong with saying it that way. It's so yeah yeah. What, uh, so what? Uh, yeah, it's 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 not my it's probably not my highlight of the album overall, but it's it's probably the thing that just says the things it needs to say really sure. really well. It really holds a point. Yeah, it, yeah. it's. And, you know, they were worried about not addressing the mum too much on the album and people being like, well, did they not even care that that happened? Yeah. But, you know, this, especially because it was stream of consciousness, I just feel like this bubbled out to them and really addressed that in such a fucking beautiful way, man. I, I yeah. love this song so much. Yeah. And, um, and with all of that being said, let's move on diligently to track seven, a track called Paralyzed. Yeah. Magic, I used to be rage. 
th- these two songs, I was just saying, saying off mic as we were listening to it. Like I well up with these two songs. Mm. They together are, are completely separate topics, but just the gravity of them that maybe isn't intentional or uniform between everyone who listens to it. But to me personally, just so beautiful, man. Like fucking amazing. This song track seven was written by Camilla. The initial lo-fi strip back part of the song that happens at the start, which is like just a guitar and, and the vocal was... Ukulele, I think. A ukulele, yeah. Uh, there's not many people who can get away with the ukulele, by the way. Not U- many. Ukulele, I believe. U- Sorry. Uh, ukulele. Yeah. Uk to the lele. It was just like a field recording of, of Jess and Camilla doing that bit. And again, all of Camilla's songs really seem to go into that relationship that she was suffering with when she was in Minneapolis. And this song has that sense of presence. In verse one, she says... Locked out, stuck on Lindale. I miss the island where I speak, they understand. Now, Lindale is a place in Minneapolis. Okay, okay, good. I'm glad you're getting to this because at first, when I just dragged some lyrics out, it said Glendale and I was, I was researching Glendale for a while. Yeah, no, it's wrong. Yeah, so it, it's, I did see that. I think Genius have it listed as Glendale. Yeah, they do. It's actually Lindale, which is, it, is a place. Is, is it a, like it's a street? street. Yeah, because yeah, I, was, I was confused by the on Lindale thing. So yeah. I was, and, that's that's and an American way of saying... Well, I was on that street. Yeah, yeah. I think but so. Because they say after the next line is, I miss the island. And I guess they mean they That's, miss home. I think it's Britain, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because where I speak, they understand. Yeah. Like, of course. Like they, yeah. they talk in her language and, you know. What are you going to do? Yeah, that adds some location to it. Well, there's there's been two other moments of that that I didn't mention before, actually. There's one, meet at the borderline. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, actually, it's just the one moment, but they could be two different things. Because in my head, it was uh, the borderline in London. You know, there's the old venue. In, yeah. In oh, yeah. The That's what I thought it was. What I didn't realize until researching this album is that Eau Claire in Wisconsin and Minneapolis are just a border apart, like really close, right. about an hour and a half apart. Oh, yeah. So borderline in terms of, I know that they're, they're tied to Wisconsin through the last album and stuff and then living in Minneapolis, but mm-hmm. they were very, very close. I was yeah. just trying to work out That's... why they were so aware of each area if you know what i mean uh, and why they seem so connected there's a good quote from jessica who describes this song and the arrangement of it quite well she says that i remember emily and i felt there wasn't really any place for us on this song it felt so deeply personal to camilla and her experiences you always have to do what's best for the song and not worry about and she does an american voice she goes i want to do my part and she says it was like we should just check out for this one and let you do it because it's great but then we ended up feeling like actually there was a moment where the veil is lifted and it kind of reveals the band and the other two. And they kind of come in and join and protect her during that song. But this for me is the best part of the album. Yeah. That, the part you're about to talk about is the best part of the album for me. Yeah, where they all kind of come in together. And I, I'm literally getting goosebumps talking about it. it it's the, so supportive. Is it the don't snuff me out? It is, yeah. 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 In the second verse, you have the lyrics, don't snuff me out. I used to be magic. I used to be rage, uncontained. I used to be something you made and admired. I used to be fire. I used to be magic. Like that feeling of being so beat down in a relationship or just so out of sorts and feeling that way and feeling so isolated, like she misses England where her sisters are now because they've gone back and she's locked in Minneapolis in this relationship that's just not working. And she's lost a sense of self and a sense of inner magic that she used to always have. But that's where her sisters step in and, and then say her sisters come it, in and, and do go, it with her. And they go, this is you and we're going to, we've got you. And we're, we're surrounding you. you. And you know, it's really good that we've had this on this week following last week, which is for all women, it seems, with the week top and tailing with International Women's Day and Mother's Day. Within 
the days between that, there was an absolute shit show for all women involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, very big media stories on... Here in the UK. Yeah, and the effect of patriarchy, I guess. And you know what? It's fucking good to sit down and have an album like this to, to yeah. roll that over with. Yeah, I'm so on board with it. Yeah, happy, happy to sit with it. Yeah. Let's move on to track eight, which is a song called Devotion. Track eight, Devotion. Oh, killer. The driver, isn't it? Killer. Yeah, I, you say it's a driver, it's got that movement again, it like has. it has from, from Best Friend. Yeah, totally. It's all in that, that synth bed, isn't it? Like, mm. da-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. One of my favorites on the album, for sure. For yeah, sure. it's brilliant. But you know what? I, the whole time, so when I first heard this, I felt like I'd heard it before. Was this a single or was this out in some form? a long time before this album came out. Do you want to Cowboy research that for me? Please? Oh, Cowboy, uh, talk amongst yourselves, guys. Yeah. This, is, this was one of Jessica's favourites, though. And they had a lot of versions before this one clicked. Oh, yeah, they recorded it with a bunch of different people. Exactly, right? and, and it, they couldn't quite find the right feel for it. So it took a while, and they were so happy it did because it turned out to be one of well, her favourites, at least. Yeah, it, it must be hard, that, mustn't it? Like, if you can't get the song to sound right, but well, yeah. eventually when you do and you get it over the line, you're like, oh, thank God we put the effort into that. And, and this is some of their new production as well, isn't it? So it's not only did they have to make it feel right with their kind of core sound, they also had to try and fit, fit in the, into yeah. this album, yeah. Well, that's interesting you say that. And yes, it is a single. Is uh, it? It was a single that was released this year, or at least it's marked as such. So Maybe I've like heard it in passing on yeah. radio or something in but the promo first. I think it has the qualities of some of the people that John Congleton produced anyway. It does sound a little like Sharon has that Sharon Vanetton thing. Totally. It has um, some a bit of St. Vincent in it in the in the production. But mostly so, it possesses some elements of some Phoebe Bridges in that. Phoebe Bridges, Phoebe Buffet. We've done it. There's a naughty, there's a naughty link. <laughs> Do you know what? I did get one link. I got a few links. Well, Nooney Sooch, obviously. Nooney Sooch. But Nooney Sooch has come up a lot, Nooney Sooch Records. But I got one where the Stave sisters are talking about them wanting to write their own comedy uh, sketch show. The Muppets. The Muppets. No, it's not called The Muppets. Because they talk about the fact that they want to be on The Muppets. That's it. The Muppets. Oh, is that the they, Well, no, that they say that they, you could tell they were watching a lot of The Simpsons, The Muppets. What's the foot thing? Uh, Football. No. <laughs> the foot thing? Monty Python. Ah. Uh, the Life of Brian. No. Well, That's what their foot's from. It's from it's from Monty Python as a as a general rule, I think. You know, it's one of their little... live in the backseat, <laughs> <laughs> and it's happening again. Uh, but yeah, you know, they they just talk about that. So that was my link. What 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 are your links? Uh, talk amongst yourselves. I should get some elevator music for when I'm looking at me notes. Elevate. Do you know we've just talked about? Oh, they lived in Minneapolis, Prince. Oh, we've just talked about elevator music and take it back. We just said both those things. They're two X songs of ours. You know that? They're not X songs, though, because we, we play them later. We'll play them later. Anyway, we're going off tangent, Carl. So talking about the song and pulling it back to that, the song tends to outline some suppressed anger. It seems to be sung through gritted teeth almost. It's, it's delivered gently, but you can tell there's some real anger and bite behind it. Mm-hmm. That becomes most apparent in that line, um, I could blow those fucking windows out. <laughs> Best line of the album. It's so good, isn't it? It's wicked. It's so good because the swear 
yeah. so rare in there. Sweet rhyming. Sorry, mate. That's how I do this sort of thing. Boom. Ooh. Ooh. Bam. Oh. Bop. Bada bop. Boom. Pow. Like Charlie said, one of Jessica's favorite songs on the album. She goes into the fact that devotion can be interpolated into religion in a way. Interpolated? Yeah. That's a, a, no, that's a word. I'm so sorry then. <laughs> inter, inter, interpolated. So it's like giving yourself wholeheartedly to something, you know, if that's God or whatever, even if it kills you and being out of control of the direction your life can take when you give yourself to that, you know, devotion be the death of me. Like devote yourself to something could also be your demise as well as your rise. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to... I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make a move. Let's move on to track nine, which is a song called Failure. That was track nine, Failure. Another one written by Jessica. She describes that she wrote this song when she was feeling a little bit disconnected from the band, especially in the midst of the hiatus that they took. And she was worried about the band and the path that everyone was on. And she felt like they'd fucked it a little bit and they'd been away for too long and were struggling to come back. And she felt like a bit of a failure. She says, by the time it came to recording this track, she was away from that headspace because she regained her confidence by being in the studio with, with, with the, her sisters again and starting to put this song together so although it was written at a time where she felt low and in a bad place when it come to recording she was out of that therefore it became a little bit more trivial and a bit more fun in the way it's delivered so you know you've got that so high five thing and that's very Alanis Morissette to me and really cool and Mm -hmm. she's owning the fact that she felt that way and it's a little bit of a a childish strop as she describes it well it is all a bit childish when Mm. you when you do do look at it nobody wants to play with me and nobody wants to sing with me and those things it's a really interesting uh regression i guess if you want to call it that into a, into a, a younger age the fact that it's called failure is quite funny did you hear about it when they were recording in the studio mm. so they were i think the engineer or someone had, had been out to get coffee for everybody and um when when he came into the room and heard the playback he dropped all of his coffee in surprise i guess this is how it's told anyway sounds dramatic to me it sounds dramatic this is from them specifically he says something like fuck me, that is the best sounding song that's ever come out of this studio. He asked what it was called and they're like, failure. And he was like, wow, that's not a failure, is it? That's a big success, isn't wow. it? And a great success. There's a lot of interesting sounds on this song. I read in an interview, I think Jessica was talking about this guy's impact on the album and some of the things that he does. There's a guy called Luke Reynolds who plays on the album. Mm-hmm. He was brought in with John Congleton from the US. They originally planned to go to the US to record this album with John Congleton or at least go and do this the production side of it with him but he eventually flew over to London to do it with them over here in the studio you've just been talking about and he brought a guy called Luke Reynolds with him who's like a multi-instrumentalist brought shit tons of weird and wonderful instruments with him he's from Nashville and they described him as a wizard they 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 reference wizards so much like they called that they referenced um, Justin Vernon as being their Gandalf 
<laughs> and um, there's also when in, in the podcast, you'll if you listen to it, they're talking about Emily being um, pregnant and how rough the pregnancy was for her. Like she had a really fucking tough time with this pregnancy. She was throwing up every day. And as soon as she had the baby, she was just so elated because she didn't feel sick anymore. And they describe that transition as the transition from Gandalf the Grey into Gandalf the White. So there's loads of references to Lord of the Rings and Gandalf. But anyway. Where's Harry Potter? Yeah, exactly. H-Boz. But they describe Luke, Luke Reynolds as a, as a magician, as a wizard. Because wizard. he's always like switching instruments and so he works so quickly. that in this song, there's like, they're asked about, is that like a synth part? And they're like, honestly, we don't fucking know. This guy's like, one minute he's playing guitar and you can like sneeze and look back and he's like got a sitar out or something. He's just so efficient and proficient with the, the stuff that he's doing there's no sitar on this album no, no. but he is an unsung hero for the album he's he's in there and he's part of this you know that sort of thought really scares me if i was ever in a position where some where i for some reason accidentally created a really incredible piece of work and it was a subject of like the documentaries or something and like how do you do all these things i'd be like man i my memory is so bad i can't rem- remember you know i definitely can't remember what i ate yesterday let alone what instrument I used on this song. Or it's the same with with our with our friend Jim Erd. He'll remember a day in 2019 and he'll remember the day of the week of it. And be like, remember when we played that gig? And he'll go, Yeah, it was a Wednesday, wasn't it? Wednesday the 19th of September or something. And I'll be like, What are you talking about, Rain Man? Yeah. It's Rain mad. Man. Have you met my brother? He can go through the school photos from when we were kids. And he can go, you know, the the classic school photos of everyone on the like, what do you even call them? Plinths. Yeah. <laughs> Is that fair? Plumps. Yeah. Like the little kind of like stadium, half stadium vibes. Yeah. Um, Big school. And Mikey will go, right, here we go. And he'll name them top to bottom, first and second name. Some people just do have those encyclopedic memories of things that have happened in the past. It's like with Jim, you know, what, what's the name of the master clock in the world? There's a clock. Uh, t- the time, sponsored by Acuras. Is that what you're talking about? No. There's a clock somewhere in the world that is the clock that everything, every other time in the world is set to. And I think that's, Clock is set to Jim Hurd. Right, right. <laughs> well, he always turns up irritatingly early, so his clock's out. That boy, is he doesn't go to sleep. He goes on charge, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake. We love you, Jim. I know you're listening. Oh, God, James. So, yeah, a beautiful song, man. I love this one. It has some nice self-deprecating themes wrapped in a childish delivery. Yeah. Which makes it really endearing to listen Absolutely. To. There was um, inspiration behind this track as well, wasn't there? Do you want to allude to this, Bunt? Yeah, I'll allude to it if you want. Being the in-house Wheaters fan, the old Teenage Dirtbag was their reference in that um, it had this sort of slacker rock, humoured feeling uh, in the song. Great song. Teenage Dirtbag, any excuse to put that one in the playlist? Of course. Get it in there. It's going in there. I do really like the the lyrics, the questioning lyrics, uh, where you're going, what you're doing, what you're knowing. And I like it because it reminds me of a Simon and Garfunkel song. Uh, It's called 59th Street Bridge Song. And it's like, it's about the lamppost. Hello, lamppost. What you knowing? It's beautiful. I've come to watch your flowers growing. But also, there's a Simpsons reference, and I know that the Staves really like the Simpsons. And in Who Shot Mr. Burns, part one, Mr. Burns says, because he's covered up the sun with a big uh, sun blocker, and uh, he says, hello, lamppost. What you knowing? I've come to watch your power flowing. And I hope it's that more so. It's got to be. It has to be. It's got to be. They, they do got, love it. Yeah, they've got the finger on the, on the Simpsons pulse. So. They have indeed. Let's move on. Let's move on to track 10, which is a song called Satisfied.
that was track 10, Satisfied. So the first thing in my notes for this one is written in big old bold letters. Really sounds like something that Charlie is going to love. That's very true. I, I, I absolutely love this song. It's, uh, it, you probably wrote this as well, but it's, it reminds me of Casey Musgraves, who I obviously adore. Hugely, yeah. Um, Tempo-wise, feel-wise, it, it did all the right things for me, this tune. Mm-hmm. I loved it. A lot of cool moments in it, isn't it? There's a lot of cool transitional moments. It's, it's that modern country vibe to me. There's a lot of space for certain elements of the tracks to shine and do their thing. And it's not in a sense of a, a virtuoso style. No one's playing anything unimaginable. No, no. But mm. the parts strike you in a, in a different way. This is another song that was written by Jessica. And she describes how the song, how this song and the song Failure sit in a similar space for her. She was listening to a lot of the war on drugs at the time of writing this song. And she liked the idea of the band and the guitar driven band. And, and she plays like a guitar solo on this song. And she just wanted it to feel strong in a way that only her and a full band could do. It offsets some of the self-pity that is in the song. You know, the, the lyrics themselves can be quite self-deprecating and quite mo- a bit mopey. And she said that the performance and the way it was instrumented was offsetting some of that. I think the guitar solo itself is is amazing. It's great, so, isn't it? so delicate. Un, I put unflashy or without flashiness is what I wrote. You know, that idea of strength and stuff. Strength comes in restraint as well. So classy. It's so classy. Very classy. And it has yeah. that um, do-do-do-do-do. Oh, man. Which for me is the turnaround in New yeah. York Minute. Oh, Ooh. shit. Shit. Everything can wow. change. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So it has that like real familiar turnaround in it. <laughs> oh, that is Jake that, Dahl's That's song. why we all love it. That is why we love it. <laughs> this is one of the, another one of those songs that was re-recorded a bunch of different times with a bunch of different people. They were chasing the dragon with this one to try and get the sound they wanted. In the end, it became an amalgamation of the initial demos of the track with a bunch of different takes from all of those different sessions. So it became a, almost a Frankenstein yeah. reconstruction of, of all of those different sessions, which is really cool. It gives it its own space to live in. And I think that is why it settles into that reverby spacious place is because it's not in one room. It's in a series of rooms. And with that, it gains its own space. Oh, okay. It does. I can't wait to see him at the yeah. end of the, oh, if, if it happens at the end of the you year. You taking me and Carl? I'll take you if you We're want. We're going to have to go and see this man. Cause it's, it's going to be one of my favorite albums of the year for sure. Mm-hmm. There's something about this song that feels a little bit like a tonal shift, though, from the, from the rest of the album. And I feel like this begins the end of the album. I, I think that the end of the album begins at the start of this song. Yeah, fair. It becomes a lot more mature. And I don't know if that's the right word to use for it. But what I mean is, what this song demonstrates is a completely non-flashiness. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we get it in the solo and stuff. It's a statement saying, we can just do these songs really well and we haven't got a throw a load of anything at this they can just stand up on their own as really beautiful pieces of music and this into trying and into waiting on me to change the the next two songs or the final two songs Mm -hmm. they all in my mind they all occupy this space it's just a feeling just a feeling i don't know i don't know if they possess a lyrical quality that's the same I mean, it could be an atmospheric thing because you, you described earlier in the episode the first three songs having a kind of cohesive theme between them yeah. of, of youth and nostalgia. Well, then, well then, and also then you've got the um, them returning to their roots in the middle of the album. Yeah, so it's like a youthfulness leading to the original staves. Yeah, possibly now progressing to the mature, grown, and emotionally mature staves. You know, you could adopt a journey to this or not. Let's move on and see how that does 
unwrap itself on a fresh listen with that in mind. So let's move on to track 11, which is a song called Trying, the penultimate song on the album. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You should be sorry too. I'm sorry, you should be sorry to him. 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 Sorry, sorry, you should be sorry to Track 11, trying. I've got one for you, boys. Go on, mate. So Jessica was talking about this tune and she said this song actually nearly made, ne- nearly became the title of the album, which is funny. But then she's another great example of their sense of humor. Then she went on to say, but can you imagine the, the reviews if we, if it wasn't received well and they were saying trying and failing as in, you know, yeah, the headline pitchfork yeah, yeah, exactly. review of the new, of the new staves album trying but who and, the, failing. and failing. Who the fuck would say that about this? album? No one would say that. No but one, but can you know. imagine before you've released being like, fuck, yeah. Everyone has innate artistic fear. That's what makes everyone good yeah. at what they do. If you didn't have the imposter syndrome, you wouldn't be good at what No. Man, I... This song... There's something in this in the sound of this song, in the way this song is, that is an absolute emotional roller coaster for me. I absolutely love it. Um, it, it sits on a bed of drone. Uh, yeah. And do you know what? When I was just listening to it, even just then, there's some bits in there where it's almost like everyone's holding all of the keys down on the keyboard. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love that. There are some songs out there where you can almost sing any harmony over them. They just work that way. No, I don't no, know no. how they I don't know how the hell you write a song like that. It's amazing if you can. And this song for me is like that where there's so many layers in there of of harmony. So much close harmony and it's it just drags all of the emotion out of me. Mm. And there is nostalgia in this for me. I think it's the sound of the of that bed. Mm. There's definitely like a Cindy Lauper song or something in there. It, it immediately reminded me of, and, and tell me if you remembered this advert. It was a Peugeot advert. I know it's a Peugeot advert because I looked it up last night. That's got true colors in it. And in the advert, I do remember there's that. a kid, there's two kids in the, in the sea. It's a boy and a girl. And the boy is protecting the girl from a shark. There's a shark going around. And there's a few other things. It's about like uh, showing your true colors, obviously. That's why they've used the song. Shining through. Yeah, these true colours are shining through. And at the end, the guy's on the beach, takes off his shirt, and he's got this big bite mark on him, and he's going to see his, who you know, you assume is the girl who he saved from this shark attack. Mm-hmm. And true colours is is in that advert. And it's probably the most nostalgic advert that I've that I have. I think about it all the time and it makes me it makes me like sad. I want to be a I want to be a kid again when I see that advert. That whole sound and that feeling comes from this song. So I just listened to True Colors last night and it's, it's almost like the end of True Colors where, and sorry, the, the bit where I'm talking about is like after the I'm sorry, you should be sorry too, where it really drops down just before mm-hmm. we go into the, the last song. But that, that whole warmth and that bed is almost like the end of that True Colors thing where it's just, it's of that time, but it's, it's just so, so pretty and yeah, and warm and, and fills me with, with absolute joy and sadness. So this one was written by Camilla mm-hmm. and Throughout this whole album, they reference um, GarageBand. So they kind of do all of these demos in GarageBand. So Camilla, this started off as just her playing that organ yeah. and singing over it. And that, that's how it was for, for a long way through. And Camilla confesses that originally when she wrote this, 
she wanted to move away from writing super personal songs and just addressing the state of current affairs is, is the kind of initial thesis of this song. She says that at the time they just moved to the US, Brexit happened in the UK. And shortly after they arrived in the US, uh, Donald Trump was uh, inaugurated as president. She saw in the world these two groups of people, meaning the British people and the American people, going through this absolutely fucking mental time. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to show some empathy to that. But then realizing that that imagery tied into almost metaphorically into how she was feeling in the situations in her relationship, i.e. two people having a really fucking mental time in their own way yeah. and not being able to unite through that. And that really adds a whole new layer to this song for me because I guess it is the first time they step away from personal sorrow and personal emotion and start turning that out to the state of affairs, almost like Prince did with Sign of the Times mm. where it starts addressing yeah. the immediate world around him or her. Well, yeah, it's one of the most effective parts of the album. This And what an amazing line. I love, I'm sorry, you should be sorry too. Yeah. Such a good, like, turnaround on, on the freight, like, on a phrase. It is, but it also seems to outline that situation where, you know, when you're disagreeing with someone, again, talking about relationships, if you're in an argument with your partner and mm. you both, it's the agree to disagree. Yeah. When you have an argument and it's like you're both giving each other the cold shoulder yeah. and you walk up to the other person and be like, okay, listen, I'm sorry expecting them to say well yeah i'm sorry too and it's like why aren't you saying it back i'm sorry you should be sorry too like we're both in the wrong but we just don't know why we both can't agree on it and that really is a cool thing and then her saying that and being like i'm sorry i think you should be sorry too and the other person not responding and then more people joining her side to be like no no no, you should be sorry too for this last thing on that part of the song i think what adds to the the feeling of that that moment what makes it feel like there's more numbers involved in that more people more people around and a, and a huge amount of people this amazing thing that they do where the chordal structure is in in four but they're they're singing to five it overlaps like it tumbles around tumbles around is that that catches I'm sorry, up you yeah so we go i'm sorry you should be sorry to i'm oh sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah but the chords are, are, are just working in four in four but they're singing four. so it's so it's like tumbles 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 then with the nature of mathematics five and four find a common ground in in 20 or whatever and i think that just like brings a, a whole new level of like volume and mass to, right to the, the it almost brings some intimidation to it as yeah, well yeah, almost yeah. talking over themselves yeah 100 uh, percent. yeah that, that's funny you know like in the leanne lahavis album she talks about uh, i can't remember what song it is you'll probably know it it's in five and she oh, said it's the last it's the last song yeah she said she couldn't hear that any different yeah i yeah. couldn't hear that any different but sour flower thanks carl i couldn't hear that any different than being in 4-4, but I totally, when I was listening to that, I was like, what a good phrase it, what yeah. great phrasing they're using to, to achieve that. But I yeah. didn't know that it was in a different... It's an interesting yeah. tool, isn't it, that to have the instrumentation in a certain time and the vocal in a different time, it gives a whole new feel. Yeah, and and it works perfectly well here. So, uh, so obviously you get through that and then it drops down really quietly. And the thing, the biggest surprise out of the whole album for me now is that the song that follows this song wasn't the same song when i heard yeah. it the, when i heard it the first time right. i thought that was the second half of the same song well it, it segues perfectly and they are i can't help but listen to them or imagine them as one transitional piece yeah. into the next so with all of that in mind let's move on to the last track on the album which is track 12 waiting on me to change What you doing there for? 
Track 12, the final track on the album, Waiting on Me to Change. Those chords, man. All of it. All of it. I don't think I've ever heard chords that, wow, do that to me. It's weird, isn't it? What, what? They're unexpected yeah. as well. This mm. is so clever and so emotional like that. Are you waiting on me to change? Mm. That gospel turnaround of that is so abrupt. It, just, it comes at a point where you don't expect it, including the very start of the song when it segues out from trying. In itself has so much resolve. Yeah, You could literally finish the song trying with that one sequence and be like, oh, everything feels wrapped up. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this, as an ending track to the album, literally finishes the stitch for me. It just feels so right, mm-hmm. the ending track. Absolutely. Which is strange because I know that they could not place this track. They, they struggled place to place it. it. Yeah, very true. Well, so, that's, that's almost like we said earlier, the comfort in the middle of an album when you don't want to put things on the edge that might fall off the edge. Mm-hmm. This is almost like they put it on the edge because it just wouldn't possibly fit anywhere else apart from the end. Yeah. And the fact that it segues so easily from trying. I can't believe they're not, they're not written in tandem. I cannot believe that. Me neither. And it, it, the fact that the gap is so small between them means they've noticed it as much as we're noticing it. Yeah. And they've used it. I love, I'll change, I'll change, I'll change when I want to. I love, I love that sentiment. But there's a bit, for me, there's a little bit of hesitance in that because obviously that sentence can only exist because someone else is asking them to change. Mm-hmm. It's not right, going, right. it's not going, I realize I need to change. It's reactionary, which then to me, it doesn't feel like a, a big like hands in the air moment where I, I realize I need to change. For me, it doesn't, it doesn't wrap it up the way it does for you too, I don't think. But for me, it has ownership of the subject matter. So waiting on me to change, waiting for all these things, people expecting them to change and people expecting them to better themselves. And for me, it's a realization and an ownership of the fact that they might need to make some changes to themselves or in their life, but they're doing it on their own time and in yeah. their own way. And this whole album has conflict of needing to change, needing to correct themselves needing to correct the relationships, needing to grieve the mother, all these different things. And it develops an expectancy of them to hope that they find some resolve. It's more of a fact that I know that I might need to do that, mm. but I'm going to do it on my own time with my sisters where we always did it around this piano or around this guitar, right. like right in this back to the roots moment of like, no matter what happens, no matter how much we've, we've given you an insight to our life, we will always have each other and we'll have what we started as, which is three sisters with our instruments. Yeah. Oh, fair. I and mean, it, I, I don't mean there was never any agency or anything like that in it, but no, then, totally. That's yeah, a yeah. Re, that's a, yeah. That's a good way. Holy to... crap, Carl. I'll, I'll, I'll just settle. I'll settle for that. I'm not going to say another word. Like you've, <laughs> you've, you've done that for me in a million, in, in a few words. And I had a million to describe it. Yeah. Oh, nice. So with all of that being said, I have one quote that I'm going to use as a round off to the album. I found this, that, that the staves themselves had said, and I couldn't have, put it better in terms of like what I took from the album. It really seemed to be them just saying, this is it from our point of view. You take it as you will. So the quote goes like this. It says, when we think about making this album, we think about moments and snapshots of all the different contexts we were in as it was made, living in each other's pockets and then living with oceans between us on voice notes and field recordings and ideas and emails sent across continents. We think of homesickness and family of being an outsider of endless notebooks and scraps of paper of studios in the winter and recordings under the summer sun, of rainy London days and long American nights with coffees and beers, dogs and cats. We think of love, big, big love, 
our mum, our dad, our friends, and of loss. Death and birth, womanhood, motherhood, sisterhood, and coming home. Not get your fucking tissues out man, man. Yeah. we we just closed our laptops then for the first time yeah, yeah. we don't do that yeah. at the end we don't yeah. do that at the end but it, that requires some reverie there that you yeah. know a, a fantastic choice chris, chris i am so thanks. happy literally thanks that this album is now in uh, my life man because i might i don't know whether i'd have gotten to it like you know i loved the first album i did missed the second one and now having this and it being so new it feeling so of the time yeah thank you so much for bringing right. that in I was a little bit concerned. I just said this to you earlier that a couple of days ago, I was just re- just listening and thinking, ah, what if it doesn't really register? And man, when we were just sitting in between and like getting all emotion, man. Yeah. Uh, and not ashamed to say so. It was so, I was so happy. So fucking hell, thank you, the Staves. That was just a, a whole journey, man. And to to see the interviews of them and to see them being such awesome people, man, and so funny and dealing with the shit. And like really looking after each other and it's so inspiring and so overwhelming to see the love they have for each other, the friendships they have for each other and just hearing that transpire into this music and feeling like you can at least tap into the main vein of, of how this is, yeah has come together. It has been amazing. So yeah, awesome album. Let's leave it at that. So that about wraps up this episode. That was episode eight of Between the Tracks where we looked at the Staves third album, Good Woman, which was released February this year. We now move on to next week's episode which will be episode nine, the penultimate episode of this season. Charlie, it's your choice for episode nine, mate. You've got a tough act to follow, but I'm excited because you haven't failed us so far. So oh, go ahead. Oh my God, pressure on now. This was a difficult one for me. And I told you both, I had a weird morning this morning because I woke up and I could not decide. So I'm not going to. So, so you two are. And I'm going to do this completely blind. So I'm going to hold uh, this bottle, uh, this wine bottle top behind my back. Mm-hmm. And I've got two albums in my head mm-hmm. and whichever one you choose. Well, I'm going to, you know, one, the wine bottle cap will represent one. And the empty hand will represent the other. Yes. So let's see how we go. Okay, here we go. Here we well, go. I'm going to say, um, Carl, you've been leading this whole expedition, I think. Okay. Uh, you've been become the de facto leader of this. Uh, I'm one bloody this, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of this clan. Um, so uh, I think you should have to pick this one, Carl. Okay. Here we go. I wish I had the drum roll button. Okay. Right. Well, you could put one in after. Right hand. Ready? Rodder. There were two choices. One was from 2019 and one was from 1989. And you've gone for the 1989. Oh. And that is... Is that, is that the year of your... No, that is the year of my birth. Oh, is it? Okay. And the album is Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. No shit. shit. Tommy P. <laughs> His first solo record. No well, shit. there you go. Wow. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> Neither was I, man. The man himself, Tommy to the P. Oh, that means I've got to watch that Tom Pe- Petty documentary again. It's massive. Tom Petty documentary. Tom Petty documentary. Well, there we go, Amazing. man. Amazing. Are we ready gonna... for it? Can Are we going to know sh- what your alternate choice was? Well, if you want to hear it, it was Lucky Day and Painted. Oh, okay. Okay. the other choice. Wow. Shit. That's a fucking good album. Poles Apart, I'm sure. Poles Apart. So we're looking at Full Moon Fever mm-hmm. by Tom Petty episode nine of between the tracks there we go as always thank you so much for listening in i hope you're still with us if you are thanks for keeping on with the journey we loved that one that was amazing so emotional follow us on all of our socials you can find them at tracks.show show notes for this will be up at between the tracks podcast.com our patreon is patreon.com forward slash between the tracks my name is carl lewis this is chris bund <laughs> 
Leave it in. Leave it in. And this is Charlie Fowler. Cheers and go. Let's bounce, motherfucker. Goodbye. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Between the Tracks, a book club, but for music. Written, produced, and presented by Carl Lewis, Chris Bunt, and Charlie Fowler. Intro and outro music by Ross Chapman and Samson Jatto. Artwork by Jim Hurd at Twinfin Design Co. Thanks to our friends at Sennheiser for the support. If you've enjoyed this album and can afford to buy it directly from the artist, links have been added to our website. A good idea is a good idea forever. Yeah.